The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. I'll tell you why I came, Mr. Wordsworth. Perhaps to prove something to you. And that is? To prove to you that the state has no fears. None at all. <laughs> no, you will forgive me, Chancellor, but that has all the elements of a joke. I mean, you come to my room to prove that the state isn't afraid of me? Oh, what an incredible burden I must be to have to prove that the state isn't afraid of an obsolete librarian like myself. No, I'll tell you the reason you came. I'll tell you the reason, though you won't admit it to yourself. Now, it's my turn to ask, what might that be? I don't fit your formulae. Somewhere along the line, there's been a deviation from the norm. Your state has everything categorized, indexed, tagged. You are the strength. People like me are the weakness. You control and order and dictate. And my kind merely follow and obey. But something's gone wrong, hasn't it? I don't fit, do oh, I? Yes, you fit, Mr. Wordsworth. In a few moments, you'll be cringing and pleading just like they all do. Oh, yes, indeed, you fit. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, November 23rd, 2017. I'm Bob Metz. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Well, talk about having a fit. Wilfrid Laurier University has an assistant professor who doesn't fit as the very forces that playwright writer Rod Serling warned us about in our opener from The Twilight Zone. From the personal crises of Lindsay Shepard to the greater issue of freedom of speech itself, our journey begins right after. I first take this moment to remind one and all that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Write on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, all of our past broadcasts. Begin with Christy Blatchford, who wrote on November 10th in the headline, Thought Police Strike Again as Wilfred Laurier Grad Student is Chastised for Showing Jordan Peterson Video. Her supervising professor told her class that by showing the video to her Canadian Communication in Context class, it was basically like neutrally playing a speech by Hitler, reads the this, reads this subheading. And she writes that a Wilfrid Laurier University teaching assistant has been identified as transphobic and sanctioned for last week showing her class an excerpt of a video debate involving the controversial University of Toronto psychology professor Jordan Peterson. Rex Murphy in the National Post on November 17th under the headline University Bully Student Who Dares to Play Peterson Clip from the Agenda writes Murphy, The Agenda may be the last public affairs program in North America that is relentlessly civil, crushingly moderate in style and substance, yet three minutes of it has rocked the province. How so? A graduate student, Lindsay Shepard at Wilfrid Laurier University, played a piddling three-minute clip in a class from an agenda discussion on the hypnotically engaging subject of personal pronouns. 
Shepard was summoned to the high office of Adria Joel, acting manager of the Gendered Violence Prevention and Support Program in the company of program coordinator Herbert Pimlot and her professor of communications, Nathan Rambukana. They were perturbed. Shepard showed the class a fragment of that debate, and the crisis emerged from the consideration that the fragment chosen included both of the antagonists. Once news spread that the agenda was playing a clip of Peterson in a Canadian university classroom devoted to Canadian communication, Shepard's supervising professor, Rambukana, took feverish exception to the idea. How could he not? It's a slippery slope. Let this slide, and soon Peterson will be attacking the apostrophe and smuggling copies of Fowler's English usage into white privilege seminars. It was, Rambukana said, like showing a speech of Adolf Hitler neutrally. <laughs> this is where, so to speak, I'd like to stop the tape right to read. However old you are, I'd like to ask you this question. Have you ever, from the very first day you were born, thought our sweet country would reach a point where playing a clip from Steve Pakin's calm, serene, progressive the agenda would have a professor at a serious university seriously asserting it was equivalent to blasting Adolf Hitler in full frothing rage at a Nuremberg rally, neutrally or otherwise? <laughs> and I would end, he writes, though there is so much more to say on this with a few other questions. Why do departments such as the Gendered Violence Prevention and Support Equity Offices and their multifarious ilk slip so often into patterns of inquisition and censorship, of ruthless thought and speech control? Finally, how long are the humanities programs of so many universities going to oblige the anti-intellectualism, heresy-hunting, and ridiculous hyper-reactions of immature and overzealous students and their allies in faculty positions? Good questions. And finally, uh, another piece here from Margaret Wente. Wilfrid Laurier graduate student delivers a wake-up call published November 21st uh, in the Globe and Mail. She writes, if you want to understand the intellectual corruption that is eating away at our universities, listen to an audio recording made by a graduate student named Lindsay Shepard. She's a 22-year-old teaching assistant at Wilfrid Laurier University in Ontario. Every senior administrator and every governor at every campus in the country should listen to it and ask themselves how far the rot has spread. Why that might have been seen as problematic by... Uh by some of the students, maybe even threatening? Um, I don't I don't see how someone would rationally think it was threatening. I could see how it might challenge their existing ideas, but for me that's that's the spirit of the university is challenging ideas that you already have. And I don't know who this came from. I would be interested to see the original complaint or complaints because like I don't really have any context like as to what exactly their problem was. Sorry, can I um... the thing is can you shield people from those ideas? Am I supposed to comfort them and um, make sure that they are insulated away from this? Like, is that what the point of this is? Because to me, that is so against what a university is about. So against it. I was not taking sides. I was presenting both arguments. So the thing is about this is, if you're presenting something like this, it, uh, you have to think about the kind of teaching climate that you're creating. and. This is actually, these arguments are counter to the Canadian um, Human Rights Code uh, ever since, and I know that you talked about um, C-16, ever since this passed, it is discriminatory to be targeting someone um, due to their gender identity or gender expression. 
So bringing something like that up in class, not critically, and I understand that you're trying to like... It was critical. I, I introduced it critically. How so? Like, I, as in, like I said, I, it was in the spirit of debate. Okay, in the spirit of the debate is slightly different than being like, okay, this is this is a, like a problematic idea that we want to maybe want to unpack. But that's but, taking sides. Yes. Like it's taking sides for me to be like, oh, look at this guy. Like everything that comes out of his mouth is BS, but we're gonna watch anyway. Okay. So I understand the position that you're coming from and your positionality, but the reality is that it has created a, a, a toxic climate for some of the students. It, you know, it's, how many? It's great. That, Who? <laughs> like how many? Okay. One. May I, may I speak? Uh, I have is... no, I have no concept of, of like how many people complained, like what their complaint was. You haven't showed me the, the complaint. Yes, I, I understand that this is upsetting, but there's also confidential, confident, confidentiality matters. The number of people is confidential. Yes. Yeah. It is one or multiple students who have come forward saying that this is something that they were concerned about and that it made them uncomfortable. You're perfectly welcome to your own opinions. Mm -hmm. But when you're bringing it into the context of the classroom, that can become problematic. And that can become something that is, that creates an unsafe learning environment for students. But when they leave the university, they're going to be exposed to these ideas. So I don't see how I'm doing a disservice to the class by exposing them to ideas that are really out there. And I'm sorry I'm crying. I'm stressed out because this to me is so wrong. It's so wrong. In the gendered violence, um, gendered and sexual violence policy. Yeah, please. So under that, um, it does gendered violence doesn't just include sexual violence, but it also includes um, targeting folks based on gender. Um, so that includes transphobia, biphobia, homophobia, all those sorts of things are protected under the policy. And so those are things that Lori has um, upheld as values as well as the Ontario Human Rights Code. Um, and so those are things that we're responsible for um, uh, not um, impacting our students in that way and not um, not spreading transphobia in that way. Okay, so the, the, what I have a problem with is I didn't target anybody. Who did I target? Trans folks. How? By telling them ideas that are really out there? By telling them that? By telling them? Really? It's it's not just telling them in legitimizing this as a valid perspective, as this is another valid perspective. In a university, all perspectives are valid. That's not necessarily true, Lindsay. Well, this this is something that's being debated in current society, and I don't feel the need to shield people from what's going on in society. Like, okay. to, to imagine that this is happening in university, it's just bad. Okay, bad. so just to give you a context, also within all of this that is happening, um, Laurier's being blanketed with white supremacist um, posters currently. Um, there's another debate in society, which is whether or not North America should be a set of white nationalist states and that it should be ethnically cleansed of other people. That is also a current debate in society. 
would you show something in your tutorial that you had, you know, white supremacists and, and non-white supremacists debating whether or not other people should live in North America? Is that something that you would show? Um, if that was related to the content of the week and we were talking about right-wing speech bubbles, maybe. Okay. It depends on the content. Like, I mean, if there's really ideas that are existing out there like that, then, I mean, look, the thing is, like, I don't see what's transphobic about showing a video of Jordan Peterson. He's a real person. He, he's, yeah. he's out there. He is a real person, but he is a real person who has engaged in targeted behavior that, uh, or, or, or targeting of, of trans students um, in a particular, like, like basically doxing them, uh, if you know the term, like giving out their personal information so that they will be attacked, uh, harassed, so that death threats will find them. Um, this is something that he has done to his own students, he has done to other students, um, and this is also something that the students are aware of. So this is, this is basically like playing, not to kind of do the thing where everything is kind of compared to, to, to Hitler, but this is like neutrally playing uh, a speech by, by Hitler or, or Milo Yiannopoulos from Gamergate. This is the kind of thing that departmentally, in terms of like critical communication studies and in terms of the course of what we're trying to do, is diametrically opposed to everything that we've been talking about in the lectures. Was this one of the reasons that you wanted to do this? Because it was like a, a reaction to the lecture content? And the no, we were talking about gendered language. And I was asking them to structure sentences using they or using his or her. And then we talked about the societal context of it. Okay. So I don't get why I'm being seen as transphobic. <laughs> by virtue, by proxy of me, just, just saying, just stating, just exposing people to an idea. I, I don't get how that label is not attached to me. I really don't. It's more about the effect rather than the intention. If that, like, obviously that wasn't your intention, but nevertheless, it disturbed and upset students enough. So everything's about those students who are disturbed? Everything is catered to them? Yeah. Can I um, yeah, just please, offer a right. different perspective? Um, were you, was this um, a tutorial based on looking at grammar? Mm -hmm. And it was focused on the use of pronouns and the use of grammar. Mm -hmm. um, is grammar not something that's not really subject to debate? The, the they and the his or her, it's a huge debate right now. Can yeah. we use they in the singular? Yeah, but you do know that they has actually been used in the singular. Yeah, that was in the video I showed to the class, and okay. that's a point I made. And the thing is, what's, what's kind of funny is I disagree with Jordan Peterson. <laughs> I disagree, but um, you guys seem to think that <laughs> I'm like pro Jordan Peterson or something. It's pretty funny. Well, it, it, do you understand how what happened was contrary to, sorry, what was the, the, the policy, the, gender the gendered, and gendered and sexual violence policy? Like, do you understand how... But, sorry, what did I violate in that policy? Um, so, gender-based violence, uh, transphobia in that policy, causing harm um, to trans students by uh, bringing their identity as invalid, or their uh, pronouns as invalid.
or something of potentially the invalid. So I caused um, harm, which is violence. under the Ontario Human Rights Code, a protected thing, and also something that Laurier holds as a value. Okay. So by proxy of me showing you the video, I'm transphobic and I caused harm and violence. So be it. I, I can't do anything to control that. <laughs> okay, so that's not something that you have an issue with? The fact that that happened? Like, I mean, I'm, I know that, that I know in my heart and I know I expressed to the class that I'm not transphobic. And if, if any of them, I don't know, again, I don't know what they said, but I made my, I don't think I gave away any kind of political position of mine. I remained very neutral. And uh, I, that's kind of the problem. Well, I don't know about you, but that was pretty tough to listen to. Good for Lindsay Shepard having the foresight to record the entire exchange. I wish I had done the same thing when a similar thing happened to Robert and I when we, when we got kicked off of CHRW. That conversation I have heard so many times in so many forums by so many lefties screaming at people who are technically on the right, but that's not what the debate's about. They always make it about whatever they want to make it about. But if there's one thing we should all learn from what we just heard... It is how easy it is for otherwise perfectly normal people to transform themselves into outright monsters when they feel threatened by the fascist hand of government or if they're fascists themselves, which basically is what we heard. Those people on the panel, they're all fascists. They might not call themselves that. They might not see themselves that. And that's on the left, okay? That's another part of this debate. Think carefully about what you just heard. It was about far more than just Jordan Peterson or some attempt to correct politically incorrect behavior. That conversation was a summary of all the leftist evils that we have been talking about on this show for years. It was presented in a package for us. The panelists, they're going to hate me saying this, but they're perfect Nazis. And don't forget, they're the ones who brought up Hitler, not me. People like me are never supposed to bring up Hitler. Because when someone on the right brings up Hitler, that too is prohibited and frowned upon speech. Been there, done that. But if you bring it up and you're on the left, well then it's okay. Because then you're going to use it as a pejorative against those people on the right. Because Hitler was on the right, right? No, Hitler was not on the right. He was right with you guys on the left. He's sitting right there. His spirit is in that room. Right beside these damn panelists. Every one of them should be fired from that school. You know, if those people on the staff of Wilfrid Laurier aren't evil, then how does one ever define that word evil? I ask you, at what point did Hitler become evil? Did that only happen when he finally got around to gassing the Jews? Or did it happen when the Nazis banned any and all opposition to Nazi propaganda? Were they evil then? Or were they evil when the Nazis first opposed their communist brethren who were on the same side of the political spectrum? How far back in the chain of the inevitable consequences of this kind of thinking of fascism, socialism, communism, censorship, do you have to go before you can identify the original seed of the evil? Says the university, consider the type of teaching climate. These arguments are counter to the Canadian Human Rights Code since Bill C-16 was passed. It is discriminatory to be targeting someone because of their gender identity or expression, you know, if it's not a critical statement. And of course, Lindsay says, well, it was critical in the spirit of the debate. 
They say, uh, yes, I understand your position, but the reality is that it has created a toxic climate for some of the students, says the panel to Lindsay. Well, that's a lie, complete lie. That's not the reality. I don't believe them for a minute that they got any complaints any more than I believe it for a minute that, that CHRW got a complaint when we got kicked off the air. The reality that concerns administration is the legislation with which they must deal and which they repeated, repeatedly refer to throughout their discussion. And yet they deny the fact that, you know, our whole environment's going left and we're going communist, but they, they themselves live in terror of it. And then when Lindsay asks, how many complainants are there? Who is the complainant? Is there one? Is there more? I have no concept of the complaint. What it was? How many complained? You never showed me the complaint. Well, welcome to the real world of universities today. It's like that all the way through the whole educational system. I can, I can cite so many instances. You'll be hearing more in the future. But this whole climate of secrecy, this is right <laughs> It reminds me, all I can think of is Nazi Germany. Hello? Then the university has the, the gall to respond. Oh, I understand this is upsetting, but there's confidentiality issues involved. Oh, my Lord. I mean, that is so immoral and unjust. It defies all senses of reasoning and of fair play. The number of people is confidential, she asks, and they say yes. It is one or a multiple of students. Why is it so important for them to hide the number of people? Another thing that they don't say is, are these students of the targeted group or just average students? They didn't even say. Could be anybody. Could be them. They have absolutely no evidence on their side. They complain to Lindsay that she has to present evidence in her arguments, but they don't. They get to be ex exclude the evidence. They hide it. They make it up. It is so crooked. I, I, I just sit here in, stunned that this even happened, but I'm glad we heard about it. And the university says, um, yes, it's, it's, it's confidential that a number of students, maybe one, have come forward saying that this is something that they were concerned about. No, they could be one, too, because they, they, they use the word they as a singular. So they were concerned. <laughs> no, one, no wonder they can't tell if it's, if it's plural or singular because they use the same word to represent both. It doesn't matter. The muddling of the English language and the, and, the, and the desire to make thinking so unclear that nobody knows what's going on is a hallmark of the left, and it's a hallmark of our universities today. You're entitled to your own opinions, but when you bring them into the classroom, that can be problematic. Good Lord! It's an unsafe learning environment for the students. Uh, yeah, it's unsafe, all right. And you know what makes it unsafe? Those people in the panel. They are the danger. They're monsters. And Lindsay says, I'm sorry for crying. I'm stressed out. This to me is so wrong, so wrong. And she's so right. Says the university panel, it's more about the effect rather than the intention. Obviously, that wasn't your intention, but nevertheless, it disturbed and upset students enough. Mm -hmm. Well, I've heard that so many times. When I was before the Ontario Human Rights Commission, giving them their first defeat ever in their history, when I defended a London landlord, they said the same thing, that it's um, not about the landlord's intentions, but it's about the effect he had on his Asian tenants. And he couldn't figure, he didn't even know what he did wrong. 
he discriminated against his Asian tenants, get this, because he allowed too many of them into his building, and that's contrary to some law, some code somewhere. That means that as soon as you have a majority of X race in your building, you're being racist against that race because you're taking advantage of them. Can you imagine such thinking? It's not about your intentions, it's about the effect. Obviously, her, the effect on her doesn't matter. She has no right. <laughs> and this is exactly what came up. And she replies, so everything's about those students who are disturbed. Everything's catered to them. Did you hear the silence <laughs> to that? They had to change the topic. The second panelist comes up, can I offer a different perspective? Because you just nailed us to the wall. We have nothing we can say to that. Yeah, we're completely prejudiced. We're picking one side. There's no equality here. We are the monsters that you think we are. Therefore, we're going to change the topic. Was this tutorial about grammar? Is grammar something that's not subject to debate, they ask? Once again, this is more evidence that most political debates, and that's what this is, this is not an academic issue or discussion, it's a political one, let's get that straight. And most political debates are about definitions, concepts, and the battle to either have those definitions and concepts represent reality or unreality. That's your choice. And the left picks unreality every time because that's what defines the left. It seeks the unearned and the unjust. You see, if you earn something justly, that, that you know, you're privileged. Oh, jeez. And then again, they bring up, uh, you understand that what you did was contrary to the policy on gender and sexual violence. Well, there's the policy again, constantly over and over again. Here's people who, who cannot defend the policy because it's irrational to begin with. They're trying to rationalize it. They're trying to rationalize evil. And so she says, what did I violate in that policy? And they go, um, uh, so gender-based buttons, uh, transphobia, and, you know, that policy, um, causing harm to trans students by uh, bringing their identity or their, or their pronouns as potentially invalid. Uh, oh, my God. Talk about illiteracy. Talk about inarticulate responses. Talk about not knowing what the hell they're talking about. And so when she said, I can't do anything to control, control other people's feelings, then the panel says, so you have no issue with that? You know, with it? And then, but that's not what she said. Nor did she imply that. She stated a metaphysical fact over which she has been given no knowledge, on which she couldn't even attempt to take control of the situation. They won't tell her what the complaint is. They won't tell her what she has to comply to. They don't know. Even after she already told the panel that she disagrees with Peterson, and I'd like to hear that argument, apparently that still wasn't enough because that only demonstrated her intention, you see, not the presumed harm her failing to have expressed her disagreement with Peterson would cause. And the muddled, unclear, and confused thinking that the panelists attempted to communicate made them look like total idiots. They're completely inarticulate in attempting to justify their utterly unjustifiable position. This is from a part of the unedited recording that I heard that, that we did not air. And one of the panelists said the following, quote, A lot of the students coming in already hold very strong opinions about X, Y, and Z. The world that Jordan Peterson and the rebel media have constructed, what, the rebel media? 
I find quite amusing in a way because it's almost like the left has won and controls everything and you're going to be imprisoned if you don't adopt cultural Marxism. Well, yeah, hello, look at you guys. There they are demonstrating the very thing that they are rejecting. And he says, I mean, I find it practically ludicrous that this is the case given the political economic realities in Canada, Ontario, Kitchener, Waterloo, and this institution. So I just find it ludicrous that people like Ezra Levant and Jordan Peterson believe in those black helicopters that the conspiracy theorists say they are coming to control world government. That, to me, is where a lot of the thinking goes. Yeah, to him, to him, to him. Everything's about the panelists. <laughs> the selfishness and self-centeredness of that guy's ridiculous opinions that do not match anything in reality were laughable. I was, I was laughing through that. Quote, I don't feel I'm teaching critical engagement in a world where all the established dominant institutions of society reinforce a number of different types of privileges, perspectives, and prejudices, he says, where the university is one of the few spaces where we can actually take people, engage them, and challenge them. What? Engage them and challenge them? Isn't that what he's preventing right now? He says, it's not, you know, challenging the faith-based or family or other types of structures in society that have been inculcated for years and years in three hours or one hour and 50 minutes. But if an institution which prides itself on getting to grips and having peer-reviewed academically, socially, scientifically, you know, evidence-based research is going to work to confirm the kind of biases that are based on stuff that cannot be substantiated in an academic, credible way, I find that problematic, he says. Wow. And I don't feel we're doing our job as an institution just by presenting both sides. Again, I use the analogy of climate change, he says. The fossil fuel industry itself knew this in the 1970s. What did they know? This. What's this? What, the climate was changing? We knew that in the 1870s and the 1770s. <laughs> And, and then he adds, it's like the tobacco companies and lung cancer as early as the 1920s. No, it's not. The associative thinking here is that of a two-year-old. Oh, tobacco companies. Hmm. Cancer, yeah. Climate change, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both the same. He says, I would find it problematic given the degree of advertising and power that the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, the Big Tobacco Lobby, Big Pharma, etc., look at all the stuff he's throwing into this, has to reinforce the kind of prejudices that students bring to class. Yeah, the kind of prejudices, reality, you know, <laughs> what really exists. Those are the prejudices they're trying to get, over, get you over. Everyone's entitled to their opinion, he says, but we have a duty as public intellectuals that we are not furthering the kind of charlatanism that Jordan Peterson represents. He is playing this whole idea about free speech and public debate despite the fact that he has nothing credible, including his stuff on pronouns. I don't find anything credible in terms of his academics. There are other people who teach grammar about the use of they. Oh, my Lord. And on it goes. This is utterly ignorant and biased crap from an individual who's foisting his own ignorances on Ms. Shepard and the entire teaching staff at Wilfrid Laurier. You know, I found nothing credible in anything that any of these panelists had to say. They, they sounded like, <laughs> like, oh, I can't say it. 
We're in trouble, folks. Protesters have a way of finding University of Toronto professor Jordan Peterson. His views, particularly when it comes to his disdain of new gender pronouns for transgender people, are controversial. A few weeks ago, Wilfrid Laurier master's student Lindsay Shepard decided to bring the issue to her critical thinking class. She played five minutes from this televised debate featuring Peterson and thought the class went well. But one or more students, Laurier won't say how many, complained, saying it made them uncomfortable. And in a meeting with senior faculty, she was accused of creating a toxic climate. Their position was that I had done something so terribly wrong I'd basically committed a crime. I had committed transphobia. She secretly recorded that conversation. In it, she repeatedly argues the importance of debate to further critical thinking. In a university, all perspectives are valid. That's not necessarily true. We wanted to hear her program director's side of the story, but he didn't respond to a request for an interview. And the university has been quiet on the story until today. In a statement, Laurier claims it champions the ideas of civil debate and free speech, but they add they need a third-party task force to learn how to better protect these important principles. Of course it's an embarrassment for the university. Sociology professor David Haskell sees the Laurier story as part of a bigger problem. In addition to Peterson, right-wing commentators Ezra Levant and Milo Yiannopoulos have had speeches disrupted. You don't have to agree with their positions, Haskell argues, but you can learn from the debate. If we as a university really believed in free speech and if we'd, we'd been uh, underlining that all the way along, this wouldn't have been a, an issue. But increasingly here at, at Laurier and at other universities, we are censoring students. Shepard now has to submit her lesson plans to the university and has had senior officials sit in on her classes. Mike Drolet, Global News, Waterloo, Ontario.
I don't believe that because you're opposed to the radical left, that makes you, I don't even think that makes you right wing. I think it, at minimum it makes you a centrist. It might even make you a left winger. You know, I mean, I've talked to lots of people who are on the progressive end of the distribution who are stunned, I would say, that the political spectrum has shifted so far to the left that the left seems to not represent anything they believe in anymore. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Thank you to our financial supporters who make it possible for us to continue our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Be sure to visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample some of our timeless past broadcasts, all archived for your listening, enjoyment, and convenience. Now, what we just heard was from Global News and from Jordan Peterson. And Global News was talking about Miss Shepard being accused of creating a toxic climate, you know, and how she secretly recorded the conversation. What was interesting, though, was Jordan Peterson's comments, where he talks about those punishing um, the student were treating her as an avatar of himself, and that there were suspicions that Shepard was a plant of Peterson's. <laughs> I have secret agents everywhere. That's funny. And and this thing about an ardent supporter of the dreaded alt-right movement that was mentioned, you know, he says, we've got to the, now this is Peterson, we've got to the point, I think, where if you're not a supporter of the radical left, then you're far right, which is something I've been accused of a substantial number of times. It goes along with calling, you know, these people Nazis. I don't even think that opposing the radical left makes you even right-wing, minimally a centrist. It might even make you a left-winger. I talk to lots of people on the left who are stunned that the political spectrum has shifted so far to the left that the left seems to not represent anything they believe in anymore, end quote. Well, on this point, I have to take issue with Mr. Peterson himself, although I support his point of view, I support his, his, uh, what he's trying to do and his general message. But those comments by Peterson reveal, you know, that almost universal confusion about left and right, one that we've been addressing head-on over many broadcasts of this show. He will never find the consistency and accuracy that he's looking for until he resolves what we have called the issue of the broken political compass, the whole idea of left and right. But notice that even despite these somewhat misguided left and right notions he has, Peterson still has made a correct observation that the big problems he sees all emanate from the left side of the so-called political spectrum. In the context of ideas, ideology, and principle, left and right are political polarities. I mean, they're opposites. And there's no middle-of-the-road or centrist position that you can even objectively define. It does not exist, and it will, will demonstrate this. So you can understand why I cringed a bit when I heard Peterson talk about a political spectrum that has shifted to the left. Again, there is no spectrum. And the shift to which Peterson referred is merely the natural consequence of believing in the mythical center and the fact that there is a spectrum. But his general sense of political direction is at least pointing in the right direction, which means identifying the problem is coming from the left. Now, we dealt with these left, right, left and right issues on several shows, including shows number 510, 513, 514, and 518, which I want to summarize very quickly because these principles are extraordinarily important, left and right. Now, 
of course, they want to identify people like Peterson and others on the right wing. You're, you're the right. You're the alt-right. Because what they see on the right and on the extreme right, of course, is fascism, is Hitler. That's why these names come up. But that's completely wrong, as we've already examined, especially on show number 510, Compassing the Political Spectrum, where we demonstrated very clearly that fascism is not on the right side of the spectrum. It's on the left, sitting there with communism and with socialism. What's on the right is freedom and capitalism, period, end of story, bang, nothing else. I mean, these ideological representations, these, these old ones, are just wrong. They do not reflect the political reality, and we can demonstrate that over and over again. Yet they continue to be taught in our schools and used as a standard method of contrasting the political spectrum. And I, and I think a lot of people are innocently getting caught up in that spectrum, and that's why the left regards labels as so important and making sure that, oh, the enemy is the right. You, I mean, to fully comprehend that the political left and right are polar opposites is to also understand that these two ideologies cannot coexist. One is out to do the other in. End of story. Any sort of in the middle of the road crap is just where you are in the battle. Who's winning? Who's losing? I mean, if you want to find the road to prosperity, security, and freedom, that has been clearly demonstrated to be on the right. That environment of freedom and capitalism. That's indisputable, and yet it's disputed constantly in our universities. And the inability to apprehend this is compounded by the notion that the middle of the road or the center between left and right is the place you want to be on the political spectrum. No, it's not, because there's no such position. It doesn't exist. All that exists in terms of any identifiable ideas and moral codes are the two polar opposites, left and right. Beyond that, there is merely movement. That's what the center is. It's a, drift, it's a drift, which we've talked about. It's never a position. And that is the shift to which Peterson was referring. He was seeing that drift. Now, history's demonstrated, and I've said this before time and time again, that any attempted coexistence between left and right, which they call the mixed economy, is temporary. And it has regrettably always ended in a drift towards the ideologies of the left. So in the battle of definitions, which is what politics is always about, the labels used to define differing ideologies and political policies do anything but define those labeled as such, because they're trying to misrepresent themselves, especially on the left. So who benefits from that confusion, the left or the right? It's always the left. Beyond this never-ending battle of definitions, and entirely dependent upon those definitions, is what's really at stake. The gradual and eventual total loss of individual rights and freedom wherever the collectivist ideologies of, left, of the left begin to take root. It's, it's just a historical fact. And again, there's that alt-right concept, which we've already said is an anti-concept. And another anti-concept is a political center. As I've said before, if the political center could represent a place at all, <laughs> that is the place where principle must be abandoned, lying and corruption are the norm, and where everyone loses their political sense of direction as they all lift, drift leftward together. In complete contrast to what the vast majority of political commentators are calling for, what is required above all is a concerted effort to polarize the political debate and to keep it polarized so that we can, and by polarize I mean defining the ideas very clearly, what is left, what is right. 
because only in so doing can these principles be clearly defined. So it's an important issue. Another one of the people that were re-educating Ms. Shepard said that the university has a duty to make sure they're not furthering Jordan Peterson. Um, Christy Blashford says they were oblivious to the fact that they themselves were proving it right by holding the 2017 equivalent of the struggle sessions so beloved in Mao's China. Now, perhaps that was an overstatement. Um, you know, we're not at that point. What happened in Mao's China was perhaps worse than what happened in the Soviet Union. That's really saying something. But we're playing with the same things. And that's a very, very bad idea. And I do believe, and this is really why that faculty association came after me yesterday, under pressure from the Women and Gender Studies Institute, which I have suggested should isn't an institute at all, and that it's not and that those aren't disciplines. And I've said the same thing about the Ontario Institute of the Studies of Education. I think I called it a rat's nest, which is I, I, I'm not withdrawing that. <laughs> and I think the universities perhaps now do more harm than good, and that's a very terrible thing for an academic like myself to both believe and say. Well, you can draw your own conclusions from what happened at Wilfrid Laurier. You can draw your own conclusions about whether or not showing a video of an argument that I had on Ontario Public Television in a Canadian communication class was basically like neutrally playing a speech like hit by Hitler. You can draw your own conclusions about that. And then you can consider the fact that Ms. Shepherd is now sufficiently disillusioned, she told Post Media Friday, that she is about 70% sure she will be leaving Wilfrid Laurier after this semester is over. So, that's where we're at, and like I said, I really am pleased that you all came out here. It's remarkable that you did, and, but I'm not in the least bit happy that it's necessary, and I don't think, I mean, it's good that this didn't get shut down, finally, and it's good that there are far more people here than would have otherwise been here, but despite the fact that that's all far better than it could have been, what we're talking about here today is A, nothing to celebrate, and B, nothing to take, like the pleasure of victory, and there's no victory here. There's just another set of skirmishes in this battle of ideas that seems to me to be increasingly degenerating into something that we really don't want to see. Uh, it seems that if you don't meet their I ideology, then they're going to cut you loose. <laughs> You're not part of their diversity. Diversity of ideas is not what they support. Are you surprised? Were you stunned when you heard about this story originally? I was shocked. I was shocked. I, I was shocked that it was so blatant. I was shocked that, uh, that Lindsay was, had the fortitude 
and the smarts to actually record what was going on because people wouldn't believe it other than that. If we as a university really believed in free speech and if we'd, we'd been uh, underlining that all the way along, this wouldn't have been a, an issue. But increasingly here at, at Laurier and at other universities, we are censoring students, we are censoring faculty who don't meet the party line in terms of a particular ideology. Are you worried about speaking out yourself, supporting her? There's only four or five that have actually called her. Somebody's got to stand up for these people. Somebody's got to stand up for themselves. And if we don't start speaking up, we're going to eventually lose the institutions completely to, to an ideology and to indoctrination. And that can't happen. It's completely inappropriate that they compared her to Hitler. Because here's the idea. I see increasingly many of my colleagues using those kind of dramatic comparisons to Hitler, to, to other totalitarian uh, regimes, but they do it in order to silence others. They use this label so that they don't have to come up with facts that are better. It's, and, and the other thing is, if you call, if you call somebody Hitler, then it leaves uh, the impression that you should do to these people what you should do to Hitler. It's really escalating the situation to a point where it's dangerous. It's kind of sad to hear, again, Jordan Peterson talking about universities now doing more harm than good and that we should draw our own conclusions about what happened at Wilfrid Laurier. Well, I've drawn my conclusions over and over again. From the Global News Report, diversity of ideas is not what they support, says David Haskell. He said... Increasingly, we're censoring faculty who don't meet the party line in terms of a particular ideology. It's completely inappropriate that they compared her to Hitler. No kidding. I see increasingly many of my colleagues using dramatic comparisons to Hitler, to other totalitarian regimes, but they do it in order to silence others. They use this label so they don't have to come up with facts that are better, he says. Well, David Haskell hit the nail right on the head with that comment. You know, that pulling the Hitler card when played by the left is a tactic to silence the opposition. Because, precisely because, they don't have an objective case to make. They have none. Quote, if you call someone Hitler, then it leaves the impression that you should do to these people what you should do to Hitler, end quote, says Mr. Haskell. Well, remember all the lefties at the Pegida rally in London? who were calling, you know, shouting out, punch a Nazi. Because apparently if someone's labeled a Nazi, it's okay to punch them, even though they don't know what the hell a Nazi is. If, if, you, if you put them in a room with a bunch of people with swastikas on them, they wouldn't know. This is also heard around rallies all over the continent. Punch a Nazi. Give me a break. The country is so full of fascist thinking, it certainly wouldn't be resolved by everybody punching everybody. <laughs> Now, at the heart of this debate has been brought up the issue of free speech and freedom of speech, and that we have a right to freedom of speech. Well, yes and no, but not really. Okay, There's, This is where academia has somewhat of a case when they say not everything is a free speech issue. And Paul McKeever has written a very interesting blog commentary in which he was actually addressing defamation laws and the, quote, mythical right to freedom of speech. And he argues that despite loose talk to the contrary, and I'm quoting here, there is no moral right of free speech. It is only when one sets up a, quote, right, end quote, of free speech that one then has to somehow explain how defamation laws 
are not a violation of the right of free speech. We hear this all the time, right? And the explanation always ends up involving some other made-up right that must be balanced against the right of free speech. The result of such explanations inevitably is that someone asserts that the right of free speech is not absolute. And this devolves into a greater and more harmful generalization, namely that rights are not absolute. And of course, that's incorrect. Argues McKeever, quote, rights are absolute by their very nature. A right of free speech, if it existed, would grant one immunity from anything that one said. So that's why he says there's no particular right to free speech, because that is not an absolute. In the sense that one could tell any number of people any lie that one cared to tell, and one would face no penalty as a result. Is that, is that free speech? No, it can't be free speech. There's no, you know, there's, just like there's no moral right, right of, of, of free gun that gives you the right to take a gun to take a person's life, liberty, or property, you know, without their consent. Likewise, there is no right of free speech that gives you the right to lie about someone in an effort ultimately to take that person's life, liberty, or property without his or her consent. That is the nature of what's happening when you are slandering someone or, you know, destroying their so-called reputation, which is not a right either. Freedom is control over your own decisions and actions, argues Paul, over the use and disposition of your own life, liberty, and property. When a person deliberately misrepresents to you the facts of reality, of course, using their free speech, quote-unquote, for the deliberate purpose of getting you to exercise your decision-making power in his interest instead of in your own, He's taking from you the values that you would have obtained had you not been tricked into making decisions that serve him instead of you. Gee, that sounds just like the conversations they were having at the university. <laughs> Paul points out that the value of a person's reputation is not what is at issue in a defamation action. What's at issue, of course, is the truth, and it's a defense in a defamation action precisely because... Nobody has a right to the value of his reputation per se. So that means the truth could destroy your reputation. And, you know, libertarians like to argue that your reputation is some kind of uh, magical right that you have. So Paul argues that defamation laws are not a violation of free speech, this mythical free speech right. Rather, they are a defense of your freedom. And that there are only three rights, he points out and the first necessitates the latter two, life, liberty, and property. One is not free to use speech as a means of taking another person's life, liberty, or property without their consent. Consent's the operative social principle. So he advises, Paul advises that if you feel the urge to speak of a right of free speech, he says, don't do it. <laughs> do not make up additional rights to balance against this free speech right. Just explain that all one ever has as rights are the rights not to have your own life, liberty, or property taken without your, your consent. And that's the bottom line. Those are the only three rights. Everything else is a derivative of that. And it struck me, after looking at Paul's essay, that his argument of freedom of speech applies to freedom too. Freedom is not a right. Do you have a right to freedom? No. Freedom is the condition you have from implementing your rights to life, liberty, and property. Liberty and property are necessary for you to have in order to further 
your life. And these rights, in general, refer to action. You know, you don't have some right to your life and to your property at someone else's forced expense. You can't demand that someone else be forced to work to maintain your life. That's not what right to life means. It means that you have the right to take action to your life. So the freedom necessary to exercise these rights is generally a secondary issue because that freedom will arise when a society or government adheres to its proper function of protecting only those three rights. So that eliminates any unnecessary attempts to balance rights. If that's what you're doing, then you're not talking about rights, you're talking about interests. And that's, of course, a constant confusion in politics today. So finally, let me say this, you know, in all this battle of rights and, and, and human rights and freedoms, and Hitler, <laughs> don't fall for the Hitler distraction. It's ridiculous. Don't stay silent just because you're afraid of having that label directed at you. You should be prepared to reflect that label right back on those to whom it applies. Because the average person who will use it on you will be coming from that point of view, from the Hitlerian point of view. But let's do remind folks of Hitler when and if it is appropriate. I mean, taking all of the evils of World War II and the Holocaust out on Hitler, the man is an utterly irrational and juvenile response to what was a social and political phenomenon in Germany that's happening here in this country today. Hitler was the product of his times and was made possible by a nation's gradual acceptance of socialism, communism, then fascism, that evolved around them with their tacit support. Eventually, as Germany drifted further and further leftward, the support of the people was no longer required. Interesting how that works, eh? And remember, Hitler was not on the extreme right. He was as far left as the best of his collectivist opponents. All variants of the same ideology. One that was consistently at variance with any notions of freedom, of democracy, or, or of capitalism. None of them were on that page. And yet we, we call them right and left. Well, if that's right and left, where the hell is freedom? No, it's not in the middle. Oh, Lord, Freedom is not in the middle between two totalitarian ideas. It's not how it works. Because, you know, to be able to lead in the direction towards freedom and capitalism instead of away from them, would require a complete about-face in terms of where we're going now, a complete change in direction. And that direction, of course, is not left, but rightward. And that's the direction in which we will be continuing our journey again next week, so be sure to join us then. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Everything will be alright. What is this? I thought I gave the order. No more barrage balloons. <laughs> this is the sergeant of the guard, mein Führer. Sergeant. I was once a corporal, you know. I hated sergeants then, and I hate sergeants now. Don't <laughs> <Dr>. mein Führer. <laughs> what is the meaning of this? What is this cardinal here? 
This is against all regulations. I command them. Schultz, who are these officers? I command them. Oh, shut up. I am Major Hauptmann of the Führer staff. Oh, you are? And why didn't you bring the Führer with you? <laughs> I'm glad you did. Commandant, Jawohl, mein Führer. We will win the war anyway. It is indeed a very great honor to have you here with us, mein Führer. His Excellency was on his way to Dusseldorf, and he decided to make a surprise visit. Yeah, everything I do is a surprise, even to me. 